Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, my friends. This week's episode of the Living Open podcast is on overcoming the harm of non-affirming doctrine and living authentically with Shawnee Schaefer. I connected with Shawnee when I interviewed Sam from Shrimp Teeth um, because they work together. Shawnee uses she, her pronouns, she is queer, and is a non-denominational follower of Christ, which she says is a product of being a part of several denominations, heavy deconstruction, continued therapy, much study, and constant reconstruction. She has an MA in theological studies where she wrote a thesis that examines how communities can support individuals on their journey towards spiritual and sexual integration, basically the ways that we can seek wholeness in order to flourish. I really loved having this conversation with Shawnee because she is just so thoughtful and so wonderful. And I mentioned this in our conversation, but I don't have anyone in my life who has been through a process of deconstruction and has landed in a reconstruction place who still holds on to some of Christianity, the parts that work for them or a relationship with Jesus that works for them. Um, I have some people in my life and my family who have never done any deconstruction and are still Christian, of course, um, but this is quite different and so intentional. Um, So it's not a perspective that I've heard that much, and it feels really, it felt really lovely to have this conversation with Shawnee um, and hear all of the intentionality that has happened in her deconstruction and how she goes about spirituality and moving towards what is life giving. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. We talk about her journey. With religion and healing, repressing sexuality, finding wholeness, working with doubt in religion, and not reaching for black and white answers. We talk about what it would mean to live like Jesus today, finding authentic community, moving towards what is life giving, setting boundaries with non affirming family, grappling with accountability for folks who caused harm around queerness within religion, and also harm that we caused within religion who we are at our core, worthiness, and moving at our own timelines, and trusting ourselves. And before I share this conversation, I just wanted to remind you that the Religious Trauma Workbook is available at the link in the description. It's a 110-page digital workbook full of prompts, reflections, meditations, rituals, and somatic exercises intended to support you on your journey of healing and deprogramming and reclamation from dogmatic religion um, and coming into more of your authentic self and reclaiming your autonomy. We also have Breathwork for Ex-Religious and Deconstructing folks coming up this Wednesday. There was a time change. It is this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and it's a breathwork class intended to support folks who've been impacted by dogmatic religion, 
on a journey of healing and reclaiming and returning to self and we do that through sharing and through an intentional guided breathwork practice so it's a really uh, body-based class body-based experience to you know offer a new tool in your healing toolkit um, to support you in connecting with yourself so link to that is of course also in the description and with that being said here is my conversation with the wonderful shawnee schaefer i always like to start the show by hearing about your story so i would love to hear about your journey with religion and with healing absolutely um i'll try and do like the reader's digest version it's like really quick <laughs> I'm like, go as deep as you want. We love that. <laughs> I'll give you kind of an overview. And then if we have more questions, we can dig deeper into certain areas. But uh, the gist and the place that I like to start is being raised in a family that was super loving and supportive and not religious at all. Um, growing up, I feel like I had a lot of freedom to be curious and ask questions. And I wasn't, I mean, spoon fed some things, I'm sure. But as far as what I thought faith would be, no one told me about God or a certain way to live or a certain entity that needed to be followed. Um, so with that being said, as I got to, yeah, like middle school, high school, I started having like really deep ex existential questions of like, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose? Like, why am I here? And then that coupled with my mental health of like depression and trying to figure out all of it, um, really spurred on this like seeking journey for me of I need to know <laughs> like I need to have a point here or else my hope wasn't existent and it was really really bleak for me uh, so with that I started exploring more um, you know stoicism and Greek philosophy and kind of some eastern Buddhist Taoist beliefs because that's kind of what my dad was into a little bit um, but I started going to my friend's youth group at a Christian church Protestant church uh, and it was different it felt warm and welcoming and the community there overwhelmingly just felt like something I'd never experienced before because they were all so joyful and having so much fun and they were serving the community and there's like these awesome service projects and Christian church camp and all the silly games like it's it's set up so that you have a ton of fun um, it was really alluring and so I started investing more and more into it uh, and I remember I think from high school until probably early college, several conversations with like youth leaders or friends just being like, like, are you ready to accept Christ as your savior? And just being like, no, like, that's like, I get what that means for y'all. And I get the implications that you have to like die to self and all of the hoopla around that. And I was like, that doesn't sound like something that I'm interested in, but I really love hanging out with you guys. This is <laughs> super fun. Um, so fast forward a little bit, got through high school, uh, traveled abroad for a while. And then when I came back, ended up at a Christian private liberal arts college, which all my friends were there. So it's kind of worked out. Um, but in that time, had still not found a lot of meaning and was really, really struggling with depression and was really struggling to figure out what the point of everything was. Like, mm -hmm. I can get good grades. I can be a good athlete. Like the perfectionism, all that was fun. Um, but it was not life-giving. Like I was just so empty. And so I basically got to a point where I remember sitting up uh, in one of the dorms and just being like so desperate and just in complete despair. And I was like, all right, God, like if you're real, like if this is a thing, fuck it. Like we'll try it. We'll see what's up. Um, I'll go for it. 
because I'm, I'm a scientist, like empirical evidence. You try uh, an experiment, you collect the data, like you observe, and then you kind of fine tune it from there. And so in my head, there's no risk in exploring and being curious. Um, so from that point on, I started living uh, in what I would regard a Christian manner, trying to figure out how to be Christian, how to be Christian enough. And part of that journey was realizing that um, a lot of things were dying to self and being able to surrender. So in that, my sexual journey up until that point hadn't really been that convoluted. I thought I was queer and had not really engaged in a ton of queer relationships, but enough to know that like, oh yeah, no, I'm gay. Like I, I feel pretty good about that. And I don't feel like the shame hovering around me. Like I'm interested in, in women and okay. Like, I don't know. It just wasn't like a, it wasn't a thing um, until I started hanging out with my Christian friends. And then it was a thing. And I realized, oh, this is interesting. Um, but basically, uh, felt like through the community I was a part of, uh, through the different Christian teachings I was being exposed to at the time, were both affirming and non-affirming. I basically chose celibacy. I said, this is 50-50. I'm torn. I don't really understand how to do this, but I'm trying. I'm like doing my best. So let's do the celibate thing. Let's say it is a horrible sin and I'm going to die for it. Well, I don't want to take that chance. That sounds pretty rough. Um, so I committed my life to following Christ and I spent the last decade in ministry doing youth ministry. I was a collegiate co-pastor, like loved, loved, love uh, my job, right? Cause I get to hang out with awesome people and get to do like snowboarding trips and plan these huge carnivals and festivals and do small groups and like pizza every lunch. Um, so really life giving, like I'm seeing all this fruit, right. Of all this flourishing, um, but all the while, I, I listened to your shadow work last, uh, episode last mm -hmm. night, all the while in the basement, <laughs> right, is uh, my sexuality. Yeah, It's just been absolutely tabled and suppressed. And I'm making sure that I'm not masturbating, that I'm not looking at anything graphic. Like all of my content is like PG-13 tops. Like my music is filtered. My movies are filtered. Like I'm just trying to live this really pure life. Um, so kind of get to the gist now, I about three years ago was in this collegiate ministry and it's for the first time I've worked for a bunch of different denominations, charismatic and Presbyterian and non-denominational and all of them had various um, beliefs about sexuality all throughout, but I ended up working for a Southern Baptist uh, ministry. That's my background. <laughs> yeah, enough said almost there. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I realized man, what we're teaching these kids is really harmful. I would observe some of the directors and leaders having conversations with students telling them that it was a sin and just watching these students just the shame and disgust and feeling like they were not worthy of anything. And then they would just leave and we would never get to talk to them again. And then having students reach out to me specifically because they were like, you could be queer because I kind of present, I mean, I don't know however that works, but the radar folks kind of vibe. They're like, Sean <laughs> seems like a safe human. And they would come out to me and I basically have to save face, just plead the fifth and say, I don't know. Cause my organization was telling me you need to preach this. Mm -hmm. This is what we expect of you. And as I went to go clarify that with the director, they basically said, if you're having questions about this or if you're struggling with this, like 
this isn't the right place for you. You should leave. Like, oh, thanks for reaching out like a supportive hand or helping me like think through this. Like I'm not, you know, I just am trying to figure out how best to navigate this. And they, they didn't really give me much um, support. They just said, if you can't firmly believe that it's not okay, we don't want you to be a part of this and you can leave. And I've devoted at this point two years to this ministry, quit my job doing this full time. And so I, I really wrestled with it. I said, this is the best job I've ever had. I love this community and these students and what this represents for like providing hope and meaning. And I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile it with the damage I saw it was causing. I couldn't reconcile it with looking into peers' faces and students' faces and saying like, we love you so much, you're worthy. And then having a caveat and saying, but that did not mesh with the God that I had experienced with the Jesus that I was in relationship with. And to try and preach that just felt so inauthentic. I was like, I can't lie. That to me is a sin. Like if we're going to play the sin game, like I'm not lying. I'm going to tell people I can't keep quiet. So basically held me accountable. And I said, well, if I'm this passionate about these students, why am I not advocating for myself that way? Like I should know have a consistent theology so uh went on a really long road trip i basically put all my stuff into storage and lived out of my car for a month uh, and just was like i need to get the fuck out like all these voices all these conflicting ideas all my people pleasing like i can't make sense of what's right and wrong and the gray matter in between just feels so convoluted and i need space and silence. So I just cruised down uh, 101. So from Oregon all the way down to California and just like every six hours just stopped somewhere new and then just slept in the back of my car on the beach and in like rest stops and had my whole little library of um, my existential books. And I was digging back through Dalazone and and, uh, Stoicism and reading a ton of Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle and like just going through like self-compassion. Like I just read all of the fucking things. I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, But on this trip, I basically said, fuck you, God. Like, this is stupid. Like if you were giving me so much purpose and meaning, and now this is what you're making of it. Like I devoted my life to you and this is shit. This is so painful. This hurts so, so bad. Like beyond feeling like I can live anymore. Mm. And I said, but I'm a scientist in this way that if there is truth, if there's beauty in the world, like I am open to it. So we'll see. Prove me wrong is the prayer. Like, all right, universe, whatever the fuck's going on, like show me, show up. What's the fucking deal? Cause I have nothing right now. I have no hope. I have no reason, no purpose. This is all too much. And man, Aaron, that road trip, like I felt it. I felt mm-hmm. goodness. I felt like I could see and experience the beauty of creation again and human interactions with strangers where there is no agenda. I wasn't trying to convert them and I wasn't trying to make them feel like I was this oppress- uh, um, impressive authority figure with all the right answers. I was just this bum in my car eating canned tuna every day, like hanging out with gas attendants and meeting other uh, vagabonds down the coast. And I was like, man, humans are awesome. <laughs> They're beautiful. And there's this connection that we have that is so meaningful and so powerful. Uh, and I remember feeling this spark of hope come back. 
Mm. That's, if that's what's good and true in the world, then I'm willing to believe in that. And whether it's conditioning or just the way that I process, to me, that felt like a God moment. To me, that felt like, hey, I'm still here. Um, and within my processing, you know, I'd always said, like, even if God was a placebo, right, even if it was something that I was believing in that wasn't real, what benefit does it have? And if it doesn't have a benefit, if it's doing harm, why take it? But I started realizing that my belief in God and the foundations I had received from like Christian teaching, especially like Jesus and the gospels were really life-giving. Like there's a lot of good wisdom in that in ways that I wanted to structure my life that I felt like I appreciate the way that I now see the world through this lens. Very aware that it's still very damaging and needs a lot of reconstruction to be helpful enough to know my life is better with this belief system in place. Uh, so again, kind of speeding all this up, I applied to finish my master's program. I started doing it in theology and taking a break and found this awesome affirming school. I went to Reformation Project. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're a um, yeah, Christian queer um, collective, basically, and they're reconciling scripture and worship and making it this beautiful, diverse uh, community of folks who still want to hold on to that belief. And they believe that God does love them and they're worthy and beloved uh, just as they are in their wholeness. And I kept hearing this word wholeness and I was like, oh, that resonates, right? I want the whole house. I want the basement to be this cool place where we hang out and have like a pool table and a dartboard. Like it doesn't have to be dark and scary. It can be a fun house. Every room can be a place where we celebrate and it can be a whole home. Um, so from there, I got introduced to Iliff School of Theology. So this last two years, I busted out my master's. I wrote my thesis on how do faith communities um, basically help support folks on their journeys to integrate faith and sexuality. So I just geeked out over all of the resources about us being whole and the medical research and the spiritual research and all of the scripture that backs up like we are embodied, sensual, mental, physical humans. And in that we don't get, um, it doesn't serve us when we compartmentalize aspects of ourselves. I believe that for whatever reason, why we're here, we're here to be whole. And in that wholeness, we flourish. And rather than just surviving and scrambling to make the best of things, we're meant to thrive. And once we're in that thriving place, we're living from abundance. And that abundance is what we share with others. And that's, for me, what has given me hope to say, okay, there's enough of this here that I want to keep trying and moving forward with it. Uh, so then really fast forward, I, with that in mind, got hooked up with Sam from Shrimp Teeth. Uh, they're my, one of my best friend's partners and just seeing what they're doing in regards to helping folks uh, work through shame and be their sensual, kinky, poly selves, just like this beautiful um, expression of what it means to be fully human and authentic. And so I started working with Sam last year just as an admin assistant, just pumping emails behind the scenes and getting stuff structured and organized. Uh, and the more we started talking, the more they were like, well, you have a lot to share. Like, what if you started doing content? What if you started helping out with peer support sessions? So um, I got married this month yes. to marry uh, one of my favorite humans in the entire world. Um, and 
now that that's, you know, a part of my life, I feel like I have this beautiful stability and this beautiful community where I can move forward and I'm getting to explore more opportunities with Sam and work through, um, yeah, sharing that with other people and hopefully supporting others so that we can all flourish together. Thank you so much for sharing that. I actually feel so emotional listening to your story. I mean, yeah, I think just so much of it hits and it also feels beautiful to hear you talking about like how you've gone through this process of like deconstruction and figuring out what's right for you and landing in this place of like, oh, some of this is still right for me. God, Jesus, like this is still for me. And I have not had anyone on the podcast who has landed in that place. And I like don't identify as Christian at all anymore. Um, So it just feels really beautiful and hopeful to hear you talking about your relationship with God when the people that I know who still have relationship with God and Jesus are different, (laughs) are, yeah, coming from, yeah, a really strict and rigid place. So yeah, it just feels lovely to see you have that and you also are holding all these other things around queerness and wholeness. And yeah, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, it's been a hell of a journey. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot of doubt and questioning and I think one of the things, not like we need peer-reviewed journals to emphasize what we already know in our intuition, but as folks are going through religious struggles, the empirical evidence keeps showing that doubt is the best indicator of growth. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the most beautiful things I found is that in my not knowing, I'm on the right track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give me permission to not know and to question and to find the beauty in that uncertainty. Cause I'm a control freak. Like I'm type A. I'm like, <laughs> nah, like I need to know I need structure. Like, yeah. and so knowing that doubt um, actually has a place and can be honored has been really helpful for me. I feel like my journey with Christianity was marked by the exact opposite of that, which is just learning all the time um, how threatening my doubt was and how bad questioning was and how like, like you said, how those people were like, you need to get on board fully or you need to leave. Like I felt that so much, like you can only be a hundred, like you have to be in this, like swallowing this whole thing wholesale with us and there's no space for anything else. Yeah. And at least, I mean, if we want to use like scripture as an example, like the disciples are a hot mess (laughs) all the time. Like they're asking all of these questions. And I think Jesus meets them with a lot of compassion and also just like, this playful, like, here's a parable, like, here's a story, like, think about it. He doesn't give them black and white answers. Like, very rarely do I see Jesus be like, this is the answer. Okay, now let's move on. He's like, do, 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 like, here's this thought. And here are these, like, metaphors and, like, mull on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's more confusing, if anything, but because to me, that's a relational perspective. Let's chew on this together. Shit's hard. Mm-hmm. There's not a right or wrong answer. There's a lot of different variables and let's just find the heart behind it. I think that's what I'm finding is that when I look at Christianity as a dogmatic doctrinal entity, I don't see Jesus. I see Jesus yelling at it, right? That's when I see Jesus flipping tables. It's at the Pharisees and he's yelling at the church, like the people that Jesus is the most upset about and condemning Pharisees, the church leaders. So I'm like, I got to be really sensitive about that. Like I 
I think Jesus would be pissed if we're taking things so literal and black and white. Um, but what I see him doing is like engaging with folks and sitting and drinking and eating and living out of this abundance. So I'm like that when I'm in a queer community, that, that feels a lot like what my queer community does. So that mm. feels a lot like church to me, right? We're questioning things. We're learning, we're growing, we're challenging each other. We're also enjoying life. We're not taking ourselves so seriously that we miss out on the beauty of the relationships around us and the people around us. Yeah. I think you mentioned Glennon Doyle. And one of the things that I heard Glennon talk, I know <laughs> Untamed really helped me process a lot around queerness and being brave and yeah. all that stuff. So like, I know it's like such a white lady thing, but I'm like, I fucking love Glennon Doyle. <laughs> for our vows this last weekend for our wedding, we definitely put in there like, we will be goddamn cheetahs. Oh, like, all right, cool. I vow that to you too. Deal. That's beautiful. Fuck yeah. I'm in for that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think about how Glennon on her podcast has talked about how she like, I think she uses the words like continues to be compelled by the story of Jesus and talks about um, how Jesus was someone who was always like turning towards people who were marginalized and who were cast out of society, sex workers and disabled people and all the people who religion and society were like, no, not you. Jesus was always turning towards those people and being like, yes, you. And that to like live like Jesus today would be to do that same thing, to turn towards people who are marginalized, queer people and black people and indigenous people and saying like, yes, you, and what can we do to help and support? And this isn't okay. Absolutely. And that is so different from how <laughs> dogmatic Christianity plays out. And I do like, it's not agenda driven. We're not doing it because if we don't, we go to hell. We're doing it because that's where life is. We're doing it because that's, beauty and goodness and truth like there's no agenda because we're not afraid and the commandment that jesus speaks the most is do not be afraid it's over like 100 or 200 times in scripture i take that seriously if the church makes me afraid god's telling me not to be afraid so why would i deal with that shit mm. right i'm going to go to places where i'm allowed to be authentic and vulnerable and live in a place where shame is not the catapult, right? Yeah. Or it's not the like anchoring point. I'm like, I don't need more of that. I need freedom. Mm -hmm. I think if you want to use Christian doctrine, like Jesus says, we're supposed to be free. The fruit of the spirit, holy night. Like he says, how do you measure a false prophet, right? Peace, joy, like self-control, mm -hmm. like all of these things. If I'm not seeing that in certain spaces, yeah. I'm not about that. Yeah. So my career community is my church. That's where I find my people. Like, and it, and the other thing too is I don't. I'm not afraid anymore about um, saving people. Like, mm. the kingdom here mentality is that if we're not living in a space where we're authentic now, that's hell. Like, mm. for me, I have such struggles with mental health and depression that if I'm not choosing wholeness i'm already in hell it's not worth it and so if any risk i'm taking now like being queer or whatever like if that sends me to quote unquote hell it doesn't reconcile because i'm free now living in that i don't know kingdom now is way more important and to me that is the same reflection of what god talks about when we are in heaven like i feel like now that i am with my partner and in his queer space like i have experienced more heaven and kingdom than i ever did mm -hmm. in my little celibate basement 
yeah, I mean, that just sounds way better. (laughs) Again, I'm just going to take the empirical approach. Like I'm going to measure the fruit and these fruit are not rotting. I'm going to eat those ones. Yeah. Thinking about heaven and hell, like I think about this a lot in regards to my family and how I feel like my mom is giving up a relationship with me now for the hope that we can be together when we die or for the fear that we won't be together when we die. And to me, I'm like, we are here now. Like nothing else is a promise or guaranteed. Like, but we know that we're here right now. And like, we could make so much of that and that could be beautiful. And yeah, that could be heaven, but not if you don't want to do that with me. Yeah. That's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And I feel like it just, there's just a disconnect there. I don't know. It's just like not the way that I think, or I've just like deconstructed that idea fully. So that idea feels really confusing to me of like all the things we're supposed to deny ourselves and sacrifice and give up in this lifetime while we're here on earth. And there's all this beauty and magic here, like you were saying, so that maybe we can have something when we die. It's like, that's not it for me. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I'm really fortunate because I didn't have a family that taught me any of that. So I never really considered hell when I thought about religion. I wasn't trying to find Christianity so that I could be saved. I didn't know that was part of the deal even. I think I ended up getting baptized and later someone was talking about heaven and hell. And they're like, it's so great that you'll be in heaven with us one day. And I was like, oh, I guess that's a part of it. (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) Yeah, for me, it was just such a practical, like right here, right now, like I need hope. I need to live well now because I'm not going to make it. It was a survival thing for me. And I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen in heaven and hell. And to live just based on that doesn't feel like what I hear Jesus preaching. Why would he come back if that's part of, you know, your beliefs? If you think he is son of God, whatever. Why would he leave that if he wasn't already bringing it with him? If that mm-hmm. wasn't bodied in his relationships as a human? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I shake because I don't get it. I don't know either. (laughs) I don't know either. I don't know, but it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. I think something else that I've been thinking about and talking to people about their experiences with deconstruction, leaving Christianity is like that loss of community. And you were talking about, you know, finding queer community and how you were like really in in it in christian community and i wonder if you have anything you want to share about creating community after leaving a more dogmatic structure and finding authentic community absolutely that's a great great question and something i've really struggled with because boundaries are not something that i naturally understand or i'm good at so i've had to do a lot of work in figuring out what relationships feel like uh, they're worth investing time and energy into Mm-hmm. and what relationships maybe are just really hard and maybe we're there for a season and are gone. So that particularly comes to mind when I think about my faith community because there are folks in it that meant so much to me and were my mentors. And I know that they're not in a space where they're going to show up. Mm-hmm. They're going to keep preaching that dogmatic uh, theology. And I've heard it and I know what it sounds like. And I am not in a space where I want to keep hashing that out or trying to be an ally to convince them. Otherwise that work I'm not going to do. 
Um, so unfortunately, I've reached out to him and I know that I won't be in relationship with them anymore. However, there is a good handful of folks that are in my head lifetimers, like folks that have just been there for me, I've been there with them. We've lived a lot of life together. Um, and they, I guess in my mind, are in a space where they're open enough that I feel like we can have some healthy boundaries around our relationship, even if I know they're not fully affirming. And I'm trying to give them the same grace that I'd hope to extend to me that our relationship isn't based on beliefs. Mm-hmm. But I know that's a slippery slope because I know like Glennon like is really convicting me on some of those things of like, either you love me or you don't. <laughs> and I agree with her, obviously. I think there's a, a point we need to advocate for ourselves, but I do have some relationships where I know they love me and I know that they're not in a space that they know how to love me fully. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to let that go. I'm willing to fight for that as much as it's healthy for me to do so and to extend opportunities for those folks to show up for me. Um, My bridal party was this beautiful conglomerate of uh, queer folks, friends that I've known since I was in second grade and uh, a friend that is from the Baptist church that just loves me super dearly. And I offered like, hey, this is an opportunity. If you wanna be here, you can. If not, I completely understand. I said, I'll get back to you in a couple of weeks. And they got back from like, oh yeah, I wouldn't miss this. I'm going to stand up and support you. And mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that, but I extended that offer and was pleasantly surprised. Um, so for me, building community has been trying to have boundaries and remain compassionate despite the hurt that I have received from the church. And so trying to differentiate mm-hmm. all of those, because I know I have specific instances with certain people that don't match the church that they represent or go to. Mm. So I'm trying to make sure that I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt while still remaining safe myself, if that makes sense. Um, And then I just also obviously overthink things on the other side, who do I have fun with? (laughs) Like (laughs) I can be around and be my full self. Yeah. Um, And some of those folks are from the church and some of them aren't. And the folks that I can be my full self around, that to me feels like a pretty clear, like, oh yeah, let's keep hanging out. You're life-giving. This is a term I've kind of used to figure out what's something I enjoy and something that brings me life is what sparks that joy and that hope and doesn't make me second guess my worth or my belonging or if I'm valued or seen or known or if there's an agenda somewhere. Mm-hmm. If I show up in this space and I feel seen and known, you're my people. Mm. Yeah. And you make it work. Yeah. When you talk about being in relationship with some of those people who like aren't fully there, I feel like I want to talk about that more with you because it's something I feel really confused about right now. And I'm trying to like, I'm processing a lot around my relationship with my parents and maybe in the process of becoming estranged from them or maybe not. And maybe I want to like really fight for those relationships. And I feel confused about that. And what you said about like, you know, as much as it's safe for me to do so and as much as I can, I think that's kind of the question for me and having like processed a bunch of my mom's stuff around my queerness with her and feeling how traumatizing that has been for me. I'm like, oh, I'm not willing to do that anymore. But what does that mean for the, you know, so yeah, how do you know, like when you need to be fighting for those relationships or when it's like, this just isn't. Yeah. Yeah. My therapist gave me some really good guidance on boundaries. 
that they don't have to be permanent. They're mm-hmm. there for as long as you need them to be there. And so when I've had relationships that haven't felt healthy, I've been able to remind myself that I can set this boundary without expectation that they will change, but knowing if things shift and move, I can change my boundary. So extending hope, but not being expectant that they will change, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing, you get disappointed by people. Like you want them to be 100% for you and with you. And when they're not, like it just hurts even more because you're like, you're my parent. Like you, why are you not showing up? Like this feels very common sense. Like you should just show up and support me. And if that never changes, like, that's a reality that we have to wrestle with. But what does it look like to set a boundary that says, like, I'm going to continue to protect myself and stay safe and healthy. And you don't even have to put it in your boundary. But if and when I decide I want to change my boundary, I can do so. The other thing they mentioned is that it doesn't have to be contingent on their actions. You don't have to say, I'll remove this boundary if you do this or when you do this. Just say, I'll remove this boundary when I want to. It's not dependent on your actions. You can't dictate how I feel. You don't get to say if I'm safe or not. I do. Even if you all of a sudden came to me and said, hey, I'm on board. I believe you. This is great. Doesn't mean you've nurtured that safety with me or that trust. I still might need a boundary. Mm -hmm. Thank you for letting me know, but I'm going to think about that. Um, And I think I tried to do a lot of work for people and give them resources and the best that I can do now is say those resources are out there. And if you're interested in learning more, you're welcome to, and then we can talk later, but I'm not going to do the legwork of that because I'm not in a space where I can necessarily. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. moving forward. Now I am in that space and I am more open to do peer support calls with parents or guardians who are confused and in process. Mm-hmm. I have those resources and I have that understanding of how to facilitate those conversations. Whereas when I was first coming out, like that was not, I needed taken care of. I could not take care of other people. Mm-hmm. I needed to be a kid and feel all of the feels. And I needed someone to take care of me and I couldn't reverse that script. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my God, I need to get my mom on the phone with you. <laughs> No, you don't want to touch it. Well, well, the other thing that's really uh, tricky is that I know what it feels like to be kind of persuade someone and having that agenda. And I've also know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of being convinced. And I don't think either are healthy places in a conversation because you're not actually listening. You're trying to argue it and be right. Your goal is to be right. So I often avoid conversations where the point of it is to be right rather than just open dialogue of, hey, here's my perspective. What's yours? Here's mine. Here's yours. And there's this flexibility in it because I never want someone to feel like I am doing to them maybe what Christianity has done to us, right? If you don't believe this, then you're not a good person. If you don't believe this, then you're not worthy. Well, that feels hypocritical. So what I can say is this is not loving. This is not fine. This is not good. Um, but if you don't believe it, like that's on you. There's no consequences. I'm not going to punish you. Why would I punish you when you've punished me? Like it feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you say <laughs> that phrase, this is not loving. That makes me think about um, the documentary Pray Away. I know you watched it because I saw you right in <laughs> the Patreon. But I listened to this podcast 
I think it was like coming out podcast or something. They interviewed Julie from the documentary and the person asked her if she was angry at her mom for taking her to conversion therapy. And she basically said, no, she was angry at a church that made her mom feel like the best way to love her was to reject her. And I was like, oh my God, that's so, yeah, that's so real. Like that really hit me and yeah, I mean, large question, but is there anything from the documentary that stood out to you or that you were like really thinking about? I, yeah, it was hard to watch. Um, I don't specifically have like a conversion ministry story, but I did have uh, a lot of folks pray over me uh, to alleviate the demon of homosexuality. And at the time, I was very excited for the experience because it was something I was trying to fight and get rid of. And so as I watched the movie, it just brought back that experience and just like, what were we doing? Like, that's so physiological, like just psychologically damaging to you know, try and exercise your sexuality. Um, and the folks that did it, I really trust. And they didn't know any better if that's what they had been taught. So watching it, it's hard to figure out how to do accountability well, because the folks that were praying and leading all of this, like are culpable. They did this like, and to the same effect, like anytime I preached anti-affirming theology, I'm culpable and I've done that kind of harm too. So I'm trying to approach it with, The hard reality is it's damaging and I don't want to just play over it and just throw that compassion card at it again, because it needs to, needs to stop. It needs to be banned. Um, so it brings up a lot. Cause I know that I've been in a position where I've done things that I thought were well-meaning. Right. So that's the perspective of, Ooh, okay. I get that. That's like what the uh, Julie Rogers interview had mentioned. Like they're doing their best. They don't know what they don't know, but at the same time, my God, like people are, killing themselves like we're killing ourselves whether physically or literally or metaphorically and people have to be held accountable for that but that's not healthy or representative of anything good or kind or just and so I think I wish I was angrier mm. because right now I feel so confused about it still that I don't even know how to hold feelings around it and I'm not something I'm still working through I'm trying to even just write like a blog post about it and like a little review. And I don't know how to gather my thoughts on it because mm -hmm. I've been on both sides and it's gross. And my brain just says like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Um, so yeah, my takeaway was that God, it's gross. It's messy. It's confusing and it needs to stop and we need to treat each other better. We need yeah. to really support and treat each other better. I feel confused too, because I know that I have friends that are choosing to be celibate or are choosing still to be in heterosexual marriages or relationships. And from their perspective and whatever they're claiming that they are well, and part of me wants to believe them, not because I believe that there's hope that that's how everything works out, but because I think journeys are that individual. And I can't say with a sweeping generalization that that hasn't been life-giving for someone somewhere. 
Yeah. And that doesn't mean that it should be the mandatory for everyone. I think I fall on the side of we really do need to figure out our own journeys. And when the church or anyone tells you how to do it, there should be red flags. Yeah. Yeah. It's for us to figure out. And maybe people figured it out and it does look how they're saying that's awesome for them. That's not how gospel works. Mm-hmm. Not how life works. It's not a one size fits all. And if you don't give people the space to figure that out, I think it's manipulative and controlling and damaging and it should stop. Yeah. I mean, I hear you talking about these like layers of harm. There was like this harm that was done to you that had you put your sexuality in a basement and try and suppress it. And then maybe you did some of that with other people too. And it's like, it is messy. And I don't know, like we want to make it easy and black and white. And like, these people are bad and these people are good, but the whole bad, good thing is just another dogmatic Christian thing that sucks. And it's just not it either. Yeah. Yeah. So it's messy. And I think I'm okay with it being messy because I'd rather be invested to sort through that than just sit back and say, I'm going to box it again or put it into this space or this space. Cause that, doesn't feel as honest to me and where I'm at as much energy as I can. I want to sort it. And when I can't sort anymore, I do my breathing and my prayer and my whatever self-care that I need to do so I can enjoy and experience life and get out of my head a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I I wish everyone could see your hands. I feel like that's (laughs) like we don't, we don't know. I don't know. I think I do want to ask you about, because I feel like there are probably people listening to this who are like, oh my God, how did you get like your, you just got married and to your favorite human. And that's so amazing. And you also have this whole background of shoving your sexuality into a basement. And I don't know, is there anything you want to tell people who are maybe like in a place where they're like coming into their queerness and maybe have a history like that too. And they're just wanting like some hope that like a healthy relationship is possible. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm amazed because <laughs> I never thought, I think I've always lived in a space where I just assumed I would be alone. So for me, I'm mm-hmm. having the hardest time dreaming because I never imagined that I would be in a career community, let alone dating, let alone with this human I'll spend, you know, a good majority of my time with. And the things that we have available to us, the opportunities, I've never imagined my life this way. So it's really hard. So I think what I found to be most helpful is therapy. Oh my gosh, EMDR Mm -hmm. therapy and working through trauma has been so pivotal for me Mm because it's allowed me to detach Uh, from codependent relationships and other people's approval. And I think it started to give me permission to know what I want and what I desire. And like you'd mentioned earlier, that's something that unfortunately church communities teach us to negate our intuition or our thoughts. And we surrender it and say, all right, God, what do you want? But then rather than hearing from God, we listen to the church. What does the church want me to do? Yeah. So retuning that knowing that understanding of who we are and what's good and life-giving for me was pivotal because I had to decide what was working for me regardless of whether people told me it was working for me or not. Mm -hmm. And in that, 
regardless of the people I was hanging out with, whether it's queer community or faith community, um, I was getting mixed messages and things that didn't align with what I felt like I wanted to do. And so I've had to go against a lot of things or people and voices, even if I trust them and love them, because it still wasn't authentic to what I think I wanted or needed. That's been the hardest and most valuable thing is doing me. Who am I? I journal all the time and I have so many lists and like little pictures of like, when I think about my core, like my muchness, who is Shawnee? Like who do, who do I, um, what am I doing? Who am I with? How do I interact with people when I feel like I'm at my best? And I start channeling those pieces and saying, that's who I want to be consistently. And when I'm finding that space to be that person consistently, I trust myself more. And when I trust myself more than I understand when I'm making a decision, it's more likely to be in line with my values and my beliefs. And it's more in line with how I want to live. So as I start making a Tinder profile or dating, I'm doing it because I generally am interested in meeting other people and getting to know them as humans and finding their muchness. And it's not about making sure that I feel uh, sexually satisfied or emotionally satisfied, or these are perks of it. But for me, it was, no, I'm curious about meeting other humans and connecting with them deeply. And from mm -hmm. that, what could happen? So I felt like my self-care allowed me to be in a stable enough position to say, yeah, these relationships are life-giving, whether they're romantic or sexual or just platonic. Like I know what feels good to me because I know what I want and what I need. I trust myself. Finally, I'm mm -hmm. still learning. I'm still discovering what I need and what I want. Um, but as I explored my sexuality for the first time and just figuring out, like, what does it mean to be a sensual human? I trusted myself. I trusted that I could make those decisions and know what felt right and sounded right and what wasn't good and what was unhelpful. And so to me, that's what it feels like to be pure of mind or pure of thought is it's me. I'm, I'm hearing my voice. I'm hearing what feels and sounds good to me. And I'm not doing this play and acting about, am I queer enough? Am I sexual enough? Am I sexy? Am I, you know, do I have a faith? Like this comparison game was robbing so much joy that I said, where am I happy? Oh yeah, I'm a freaking goofball. Like I love playing video games. I love longboarding. I love hanging out with my friends and playing like board games and beer pong and all that. Like, why don't I just do that? And so as I started doing more of that, I think the rest kind of falls into place because it's um, like attracts like and you find good people and yeah, sexuality stuff is hard and it's the whole of the conversation, but it's um, a lot of shame work. Realizing I get to be a sensual embodied human. I get to have pleasure. I get, I have to have consent. Like I get to have consent. That's a mandatory part of this you get to do those things. You get to have pleasure and consent and enjoyable sexual experiences because you know you're worthy of it. Oh. You deserve good things. Yeah. You deserve to be loved and seen and known and held and appreciated. And people get to be patient with you, right? You get to be on your own timeline. Yeah. You get to pace yourself however damn well you need to pace yourself to make it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Owning my story has been a really hard, but um, man, wonderful, life-giving experience to know. Trust myself. Yeah, I feel like telling stories and 
telling my story feels deeply, deeply life-giving. And so does hearing other people's stories. So hence this podcast. <laughs> you do the thing. When you're talking about trusting yourself, that makes me think about, I feel like I've been trying to rebuild trust with myself and continue to need to be rebuilding trust with myself, especially around my sexuality, because I didn't trust myself and knowing that I was not straight from literally the longest time that I can remember for for years and years and years. And I didn't trust that I needed to like leave my straight passing relationship. And I didn't trust that even though all these voices were like, you are queer, you need to be in relationships with women. I didn't trust it for a long time. And now that I finally did, and I feel like how alive I feel and how magic it is and how good it is and how authentic and how real and how full and how life-giving, I'm like, fuck, I really hurt myself by not trusting myself. And, you know, there's like all these forces and shame and all those things. It's not like I'm like, I was bad for doing that. It's just kind of like a fact of what happened and feeling like I need to like rebuild trust with myself so I can keep moving forward in my most authentic directions and never ever do that to myself again. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard work. Cause it, there's still, um, I mean, there's still areas where I know I don't trust myself or areas where I feel like there are areas I need to be mindful. Like uh, I have a, a history of addiction or of self-harm. Like I have support systems in place. Like I don't necessarily trust myself with a bunch of alcohol around. Okay. That's awesome to know. Like, mm -hmm. what's it like then to reach out for support and to know that we get to call on each other to help in those areas where trusting ourselves is still hard. So it's not, I still believe in community so wholeheartedly that we need each other. We need to figure out ways that we right have that network and that balance but I I think in that like I know myself well enough to know that I need support yeah right I know that these are areas that are hard for me um and it takes humility like oh I need to know myself well enough to know that I can be a dick like I can totally be a jerk to my friends and when they call me out like I need to own up to it and be culpable like, mm -hmm. just, like that's myself doesn't mean I give myself full permission to do whatever I want it means that I trust myself enough to know that like my core values are to be kind and compassionate and good to myself and good to others. And when those aren't aligning, like, let's work together here and call me out, call me in. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, that makes me think about how one of my, like, or the Christianity that I grew up in was felt very focused on perfection. And it was a lot about appearances and needing to like, you know, seem perfect. You could never be wrong. You always needed to be, and like in the Christian perfect kind of ways, you know, and yeah, hearing you say like needing that support and letting other people in um, feels really powerful and healing for me too. And just like so needed and so human and what a relief after dogmatic Christianity to be like, all right, I'm not perfect. I don't have to be. And I'm still worthy of love and care and compassion and all those things. And so are you. And so is everyone. And that's okay. Yeah. And how do we do that together? Like, how do we take care of ourselves well enough that we can take care of others well? Yeah. And then in that, we get to enjoy all of this beauty and everything that's around us. Be in the moment, be present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. a lot but it's good and it's worth it and it's so worth it I know that we're enough I know that everyone's trying and then yeah. that 
account for something. Mm-hmm. So just keep showing up, keep doing our best. Yeah. Shani, I want to ask you the last question I always ask on this show, which is what does living open mean to you? What comes up when you hear that? Yeah. Open and affirming and inclusive are synonymous within my faith background. So that is a really important aspect is making sure that I maintain doubt as part of my faith. Being open means we'll see, right? Being open means I want to include everyone in this. Being open means this inclusivity and this affirming theology is really important. Um, being open also triggers, not triggers, but like corresponds to being vulnerable, being mm. authentic, being my full self and having all the lights in the basement on and saying, hey, these used to be scary parts, but let's make this the party then. Like, what does it look like to invite people into those spaces that seem scary? And as you turn on the light, you realize, oh, maybe when we're in this space together, it's not as scary as I thought it was when I was by myself. So being mm-hmm. open and living open to me means um, being authentic to who I am and holding that dear and close and then inviting other people to be their authentic selves around me and creating that space that we can do that in community together. Yeah. It should be something that as you're more authentic and vulnerable, it would allow you to be more compassionate and therefore allow others to be their open and authentic selves as well. Mm. And I think the thing about the basement is like when you turn on the lights and when you bring people in, it makes things more right sized. Like they no longer like are huge, huge, massive. They're like they shrink down to the right size. And it's like, oh, Right. Exhale. Okay. This is still here, but I can actually see it and you're in it with me and it just feels so much smaller. Yeah. And safe. It's it's tangible. You can address some hard things when, yeah, like you said, the shadow that's being cast on the wall, it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's just, you know, just a toy bear. (laughs) My childhood trauma. Okay, we'll deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe you have a toy bear too and we can talk about that bear together. not alone right what's it feel like when you realize we're not alone Mm. oh it feels so good yeah yeah so yeah thank you so much for coming on and sharing is there anywhere that people can find you on the internet and connect with you yeah so like i said uh sam and i are still doing peer support so you can find us at www.shrimpteeth.com slash peer p-e-e-r and that way if you want to chat with us one-on-one you can book a peer support call and we'd love to support you or your family or your non-affirming parents (laughs) (laughs) yes thank you for that we need you like you're out here doing the lord's work (laughs) you got it Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.